Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 12th. I'm Ezra Wall. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today on the show, workers at the Nissan plant in Canton await word on their petition to vote for a union. And officials continue to investigate a military plane that crashed in LaFleur County on Monday. Plus, medical professionals are encouraging Mississippians to swap the sugary drinks for a glass of water. And as summer heat continues to rise, experts warn those that high temperatures can put elderly Mississippians at greater risk for heat illness. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Union organizers at the Nissan plant in Canton are awaiting word on whether their petition to vote for a union will be certified. The United Auto Workers Union filed the document Monday with the National Labor Relations Board. Workers need 30 percent of the workforce to sign a petition. Organizers say they've got more than that and have submitted signed union cards as additional proof. Nissan workers and supporters celebrated the filing in Canton yesterday. Employees say they want fair wages, safe working conditions and better benefits. Travis Parks is a Nissan worker. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it's been a long time coming. Today's exciting. It's the first step of the process of going to an election so we can have our union be represented by the UAW and, you know, being able to sit down with the company and, you know, negotiate our pay benefits and safety. The petition that you put forth, is that a request to have an election? That was actually done by the UAW on behalf of the workers. That's what the UAW is here for is, you know, they're here to guide us through that. Mentally, where are workers at right now? They're excited. Actually, I was out there helping Leaflet the other day about a worker meeting yesterday and got a lot of good reception from the workers. About time. It's it's been a long road. We're ready. It's a lot of excitement inside the plant, you know, getting a lot of questions. You're encouraging them to vote. Is there a fear that they won't? I'm there to make sure that they have the opportunity to vote. Whether a person decides on how to vote yes or no, I can't really say. That's up to the worker, you know. That's, that's why I'm on the volunteer organizing committee. You know, 
try to help inform the workers that don't understand quite what's going on. And it helps, you know, they come to me with questions all the time. And what's the company policy on it? What's it say? You know, a lot of times I get those questions because they don't really know. A lot of people question why they wouldn't go to HR or not. Sometimes they're scared to ask certain questions. Is there a fear of voting? I'm going to say, for the most part, no, because it's been a long, everybody's just been waiting to vote. And it's getting, you know, we're, we've got a large plant, and getting everybody together on the same page uh, at the same time is very important. I think they're just ready to vote. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Nissan employee Travis Parks. William truly is mayor of Canton. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he hopes to see more local hires at the Nissan plant. Well, I'm essentially here for support. I've always believed in folks' rights to have the best working conditions, uh, have the best pay, have the best benefits, uh, have the best pension plans, the right to articulate and communicate uh, their grievances uh, without any intimidation. So for me, that's not so much union rights, but human rights. To be able to do that in a working venue under working circumstance, I've always believed that employees have the right to improve the circumstances of their working condition. Uh, if that is their perception that the circumstances are, are, are negative. So what do you right. think about it when Nissan says it's not in their best interest? I think that what's important is what the human being says, what the worker says. If, if, if the worker says it's in their best interest, then I don't think that any institution can negate that it's not. What does Nissan mean to the city of Canton? I think it means a lot to the city of Canton. I think it's been extremely uh, helpful, particularly to uh, our school system. I think Nissan has hired folks not only not only from other parts of the state, but, but, but out of the state. We are glad that uh, Nissan is here. One of the things that I would like to see Nissan do is that I would like to see Nissan train more Cantonians. And I recognize and realize that its plan calls for statewide hire. But unemployed Cantonians sit in Nissan's backyard we should have nearly an unemployment rate, particularly for our men and our women. I would like to see Nissan give Cantonians who have been incarcerated a second chance. And those are the kinds of negotiations that I would like to have with, with Nissan. You know, Nissan uh, pays taxes to the county, pays taxes to the school but at no fault of his own, does not pay taxes to the city because that was a part of the agreement back in 2000 that uh, Nissan would not have to pay taxes to the city of Canton. I, I think that if you're not going to pay taxes to the city of Canton, which is the law now, and, and I respect the law, then the question becomes how can you help the folks who reside in your back door. And, and, I, and I recognize all of the work and all of the good deeds that Nissan has done for the school, for the state, and for the county. But I am particularly talking about the city of Canton as it relates to becoming a training site for folks who are crying out and who want to do better 
And that's the direction in which I would like to see Nissan go as it relates to my community. And as a CEO of this community, I would like to, for us to enter into a partnership. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. Thank you. Thank you. Canton Mayor William Truly with uh, our Desiree Frazier. In a statement, Nissan says, quote, While it's ultimately up to our employees who will represent them, we do not believe that UAW representation is in the best interest of the company and its workers, unquote. The petition seeks a vote by July 31st and August 1st, but the National Labor Relations Board will ultimately set the date if it certifies the petition. In other news, investigators are still sifting through debris in LaFleur County to determine why a U.S. military plane slammed into the ground on Monday. Marine Corps spokeswoman Captain Sarah Burns said in a statement the aircraft, quote, experienced a mishap Monday evening but provided no details. As MPB's Alexis Ware reports, the incident is the deadliest Marine crash in more than a decade. We do have debris. I'm scared on both sides of USA too. That's Greenwood Fire Chief Marcus Banks. He was one of the first responders on the scene after the Marine Corps KC-130 transport aircraft crashed in rural LaFleur County on Monday evening. He spoke to reporters about the crash on Tuesday at a staging site in Itabina. Large degree of smoke and high heat. Uh, we, we noticed, um, we didn't know what was burning at the time, but we did see flames and smoke in a soybean field. And we saw volunteers were already on scene uh, attempting their fire suppression efforts. The Marine Corps refueling and cargo plane went down in a soybean field, killing all 16 people aboard. The Marines say the aircraft was based at Stewart Air National Guard in Newburn, New York. The flight originated from Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point, North Carolina, and was headed to California. Seven of the U.S. troops killed were Special Operations Forces, Six were Marines and one was a sailor. Banks says his experience in the military makes the crash hit close to home. Having worn a uniform, having been in the service, you know, your heart always goes out to um, those men and women who serve our country. Um, our prayer, thoughts and prayers are with those individuals and their families who um, lost their lives as a result of, of this crash. Officials have not released the names of those killed. Debris from the crash is scattered for miles around the LaFour County soybean field. Governor Phil Bryant is warning Mississippians to not remove debris from the site as it is under investigation. Alexis Ware, MPB News. Coming up, the American Medical Association is urging people to put down the sweet teas and sodas. Find out why coming up next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. In the morning, my MPB public media app is always ready to give me the morning snooze. It's 6 o'clock. This is MPB Think Radio. And all throughout the day, checking up on my favorite MPB programs is just a click. Along with Jeremy Hobson, it's here and now. Swipe. We're looking for anybody who enjoys eating. Well, scroll away. I'm Walt Grayson. Welcome to Mississippi Road. My MPB public media app is always ready to keep me informed and entertained the way I want, when I want. Download the app now on your favorite device. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. Mississippians at risk for diabetes and coronary heart disease are being urged to put down the sugary drinks. According to the State Department of Health, Mississippi ranked second in the nation for overall diabetes prevalence 
with over 276,000 adults in Mississippi having type 2 diabetes. The American Medical Association is taking aim at reducing the amount of sugar people consume. During their annual meeting, medical professionals reviewed the link between consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages and an increase in type 2 diabetes and coronary heart disease. They now have a policy supporting evidence-based strategies such as taxes on beverages, controlling portion sizes, and adding warning labels. It also encourages physicians to counsel patients on the health consequences associated with the consumption of such things. Dr. Gerald Harmon is the chairman of the AMA board. He tells us what led to the policy. One of our three strategic initiatives for the last several years now has been to improve health outcomes for the United States. Improving health outcomes would engender two particular targets, cardiovascular disease and diabetes, which are significant health modifiers and have a huge impact on the health of Americans. So one of the issues we looked at was what causes cardiovascular and diabetes diseases. Certainly one of them is obesity and diet. What led then to reading into the diet component of that was the fact that Added sugars are a pretty big contributor to obesity and unhealthy lifestyles. In fact, a third of the calories that we get from added sugars are consumed in the form of sugar-sweetened beverages. So that's led to our focus as a public health initiative. Soda, the leading offender here, or is other types of drinks? It's the entire spectrum. It's not just soda. It's sugar-sweetened beverages. Why not go after candy bars and other sweet things that are easily accessible to children and adults? Thirst is more common than is hunger, for instance, and we could perhaps expand our target. But if we'll focus on sugar-sweetened beverages, I think that's a better return on our investment. Is there an addictive quality to that much sugar? There's no evidence, no scientific evidence that one could become addicted to sugar. It's just natural uh, to want to drink, and the taste perhaps makes it a little more palatable. Our fluid of choice is water, just plain old water. That's what we should be drinking. Now let's get to the policy. How do you get people to drink less sugar-laden drinks? It's a combination target, so to speak. What we have found, and the evidence shows that evidence-based strategy we've seen uh, around include using warning labels, using uh, plain packaging, using uh, decreased access, including just not having them available in places like schools, not having vending machines that have sugar-sweetened beverages. And that's part of our policy target. Is that still a big problem in schools that they have machines with soda for kids? Yes, it is. It's a problem in my grandkids' schools. They are in our school district. And what about other public facilities? Are those targets as well? We as a health care provider are very supportive at having a healthy environment. You know, many hospitals now, if not all, are essentially tobacco-free, for instance. It'd be nice if they'd be sugar-sweetened beverage reduced, if not free. And how do you get this policy out? Is there a way that listeners can be proactive about getting sugar drinks out of the hands of kids? We have to get the word out. I would encourage them to think about this. Notify their their local legislators that it's something that we ought to consider. Typically, it takes some legislation. Notify your school districts. I've done the same here in my school district to try to look at the impact and the prevalence of sugar-sweetened beverages in your vending machines, in your cafeterias. Think about ways to restrict purchasing and or access at the local level. And that really is something that can make a big difference. I'm aware of uh, the data that was published last year in some peer-reviewed journals that talks about simply plain packaging. If you'd remove the attractiveness of the labels and you just have a plain label that says soft drink, sweetened with sugar, and 300 calories or 100 calories, whatever it happens to be, 
and a warning label or just a, a calorie label, you know, that has a tremendous impact on the instinct to buy that particular beverage or consume that beverage. It might reduce that certainly by over 20 to as much as 35%. So that's a big impact if you reduce that particular excessive sugar intake on that particular beverage. Talking about Coke and Pepsi, they spend billions of dollars a year. I can't imagine they'd go for something like that. In my state alone, in South Carolina, we, with our diabetes prevention program, we did some economic impact and negative impact on health care and on productivity in our state of the diagnosis of prediabetes, which is about to develop diabetes, of course, is over $700 million annually. I'm sure that Mississippi then spends, if you think about it, that's almost three quarters of a billion dollars impact. So reducing that economic cost of prediabetes by some number, we don't know the exact number, but if you reduce sweetened beverage calorie intake, you're going to have a reduced risk of prediabetes and subsequent development of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Anything that reduces that impact is a positive deal. So I would hope we would think about the long-term impact. You can still sell the beverage, it's just you're not likely to have the label on it. Dr. Gerald Harmon is the chairman of the American Medical Association Board. Dr. Harmon, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Dr. Gerald Harmon speaking with our Karen Brown. Coming up, experts are urging Mississippians to take precautions to avoid heat illness this summer, especially with high risk for the elderly. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Terry in Birmingham. Hey, Terry. Okay, what I want to know is I prescribe uh, like two opioids a day, and I'm trying to make sure that I'm not taking too much. Uh, I had surgery for a uh, back, and I get two, two uh, Percocets a day uh, is what I'm supposed to take, and I just want to see am I within the guidelines of what I need to have before I go into some type of uh, addiction or something like that. How long have you been taking uh, Percocet? I've been taking about 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 a year or so. Uh huh. Here's the big problem: you you these drugs are supposed to be used for short term therapy, especially in low back pain, till you can get in a physical therapy or pain management program off of opioids. Because we know that if you use these things for long term, they lose their potency. And you end up taking more and more, and then you do get into an addictive spiral. There are other things that can be used that are not addictive. So my recommendation to you would be to work with your provider in developing a management regimen that does not involve opioids, where you can get off these twice-daily opioids. And you can begin to do that yourself by simply cutting them in half cutting your dose in half, tapering bits and pieces. The the pharmacist can cut those for you till you get off of those. But you have to be simultaneously doing the other things that are important for low back pain. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. 
Summer temperatures are rising, and for some, so is the risk of suffering heat illness. Experts are warning Mississippians about the potential dangers of summer heat. According to a study by the University of Chicago Medical Center, 40% of heat deaths uh, occur with people 65 and older. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report elderly people are among those most vulnerable. Jim Pollard is public affairs manager for American Medical Response and MedStat. He tells MPB's Alexis Ware how heat affects the elderly. A couple of years ago, the University of Chicago Medical Center Uh, released uh, results of a study that showed that 40% of folks who die from uh, heat illness uh, are over age 65. That's pretty substantial. Um, There are uh, three or four reasons why elders are among the groups at greatest risk of suffering heat illness. Uh, First of all, as we age, uh, our body doesn't adjust as well to temperature changes. There's a a gland called the hypothalamus that helps regulate body temperatures, and it it just doesn't work uh, as effectively as when we're younger. And uh, as we age, we're not uh, as sensitive uh, to noticing uh, temperature changes in our body. Obviously, elders are also more likely to have a chronic medical condition uh, that uh, might uh, make it more difficult uh, for them to adapt to changes in temperature. Uh, external, uh, which then affects internal. And uh, there are certain medications uh, that cause uh, uh, us to uh, go to the bathroom, and that can contribute to having a lower level of hydration uh, than is recommended. A a really good example of that would be uh, Lasix, uh, furosemide uh, for, uh, say, edema, um, some blood pressure medicines and some uh, glaucoma medicines also contribute to uh, uh, diuresis uh, irritation. At least regarding the dehydration, what could some people do to make sure that they're working to combat that? A lot of the recommendations that are given to the population as a whole for avoiding heat illness uh, and recognizing heat illness and responding appropriately apply to elders as well. Uh, First and foremost, drink plenty of the right fluids, and that would be uh, plenty of water uh, or some sport drinks, as they're called, uh, and uh, do it continuously throughout the day uh, and on into the evening. Uh, Remember that alcoholic drinks and if you drink a lot of caffeine, uh, that uh, those kinds of drinks can uh, contribute to uh, going to the bathroom uh, a lot. Uh, wear the right clothes, uh, light-colored, uh, loose-weave clothing. Uh, if you're outside, uh, wear a, a loose-weave hat, uh, take it off from time to time, um, and uh, try to stay out of the heat altogether if you can, of course. Uh, and uh, take it easy, you know, just relax. Uh, it's Mississippi in the summer, for goodness sake, you know, just just uh, d- cut back on activity that's likely to uh, uh, make you lose a great deal of uh, fluid. Uh, very importantly, some folks, you know, in this day and age still don't have air conditioning in their homes. Uh, fans only work up to a certain level to help uh, reduce the temperature in the home. After about after the ambient air temperature is about 80 degrees, essentially all the fan does is move warm air around. All right. Um, so if you don't have air conditioning uh, or uh, the uh, the fans aren't aren't uh, really doing much for you, uh, we strongly advise uh, elders to uh, get themselves, uh, if at all possible, to a, a uh, Location that is air conditioned, that could be a mall, a library, a movie theater, um, and make sure that we know the warning signs of heat illness and uh, respond quickly uh, for um, 
the onset of what's called heat exhaustion, uh, which a great many of us have suffered, uh, dizziness, nausea, headache, uh, rapid heartbeat, uh, and it can deteriorate. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the hallmark of uh, heat exhaustion is profuse sweating. Uh, and then, uh, if not adequately responded to, heat, heat exhaustion can deteriorate into heat stroke, uh, which is potentially life-threatening, uh, definitely life-threatening. Uh, and the hallmark for uh, heat stroke for most folks is uh, dry, hot skin, uh, often red or mottled. And uh, heat stroke happens when you've sweated out all your reserves. So uh, we strongly encourage Family members of uh, elders who live alone, check on your elders uh, who you know a uh, number of times during the day and make sure they're doing okay because they are at greater risk of dying or getting really, really sick from heat illness. One of the ways to help reduce the temperature in a home is to uh, draw the blinds. Uh, and uh, if you have air conditioning and you're concerned about Running up the bill, uh, put some, you know, stuff some towels under the cracks of the doors, uh, close the doors except for uh, the area where you have your uh, uh, air conditioning focus. Close the vents if it's uh, central air conditioning in the rest of the house. Uh, and if you have a window mounted unit, for example, just uh, focus on uh, staying in that area with the rest of the house closed off, towels under the, under the cracks in the doors. Jim Pollard is with American Medical Response in Mississippi. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Oh, my pleasure. Stay cool. Health officials say it's important for elderly people to stay hydrated and avoid being outdoors during midday hours. Stay tuned to Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101, then at 10, Everyday Tech. At 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of today's program? Find out past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online. It's mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Ezra Wall. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.